ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So we're at the section now where Al-Imam Al-Barbahari rahimahullah ta'ala says Allah annahu la yahillu malum ri'in muslimin illa bitaybatin min nafsih wa in kana ma'a rajulin malun haram faqad dhammanah la yahillu li ahadin an ya'khudha minhu shay'an illa bi'idhnih fa innahu asa an yatuba hadha fa yuridu an yaruddahu ala arbabih fa akhadta haraman says, may Allah have mercy upon you, know that the wealth of a Muslim is unlawful, except what he gives willingly. It is unlawful for you to take from him, to steal from him, to forcefully get it from him, except what he gives you willingly. If a man has some wealth that was attained illegally, he has some wealth which he got illegally, it is his concern. It is not permissible to take any of it from him except with his permission. Because perhaps he will repent and he may wish to restore it to its rightful owner. But you will have taken something which is unlawful. So the point being here, as Sheikh Rabia mentions, هَذِهِ nasiha مِنَ الْإِمَامِ الْبَرْبَهَارِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى من ضمن النصائح التي سلفت أو سلفت وفيها النهي عن استباحة مال المسلم إلا بطيبة نفس منه. So this is some advice from Imam al-Barbahari, and this is from amongst all of the different advice that he's been giving in this section. So here he mentions regarding the wealth of a believer, the wealth of another Muslim. It is not permissible for you to take it off him unless he gives you whatever he wishes to give you. And that is referring to the hadith, which has the same meaning. That it is not permissible to take the money, the wealth of a Muslim except from what he wills to give you. And this hadith has been narrated by a group of the companions and it is authenticated by a Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah ta'ala. So the Prophet sallallahu has forbidden that you forcefully take money from people, that you confiscate money from people. وَحَرَّمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ سَلَّمَ الْغَصْبِ وَتَوَعَدَ عَلَيْهِ أَشَدَّ الْوَعِيدِ And it has been mentioned that it is impermissible to confiscate or to take for yourself forcefully from somebody else. And there's a great punishment mentioned regarding that. There's the example in the hadith regarding somebody who takes land which is not his. So it's mentioned, مَنْ اِقْتَطَعَ شِبْرًا مِنَ الْأَرْضِ ظُلْمًا طَوَّقَهُ اللَّهُ إِيَّهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ مِنْ سَبْعِ أَرَضِينَ That whomsoever takes a hand span of earth, of land which is not his, takes his fence outwards and takes extra land from his neighbor which is not his, then that will be made a punishment upon him as a 
uh, around his neck like a barrier upon his neck from the earth as a punishment upon him for stealing that land. So similarly, it is not permissible for a Muslim to take any wealth, whether it is land or other forms of wealth, except for that which is permissible from the permissible ways through business, through the tijara, through agriculture, through other means which are permissible to take the wealth. As for confiscating it forcefully or stealing it or deceptively getting it, betraying someone and getting that wealth, all of these are from the haram ways of getting wealth and they are impermissible. And Allah has mentioned in the Quran, وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ بِالْبَاطِلِ Do not eat each other's wealth in falsehood. Do not take each other's wealth in falsehood. يعني أموال الناس حرام. So the wealth of the people is haram for you. You can't go and take the wealth of the people. لا يجوز تناول شيء منها عن طريق الغصب والخيانة أو الغش. It's not permissible for you to go and get the wealth from the people in any haram way, steal from them or confiscate forcefully from them or betray them, deceive them in business. It is not permissible to take the wealth of the people in haram means. Then Al-Imam Al-Barbahari rahimahullah ta'ala goes on to say, وَإِنْ كَانَ مَعَ رَجُلٍ مَالٍ حَرَامٍ If somebody had some impermissible wealth on them, they had some impermissible haram wealth, then it's not permissible for you to take that wealth it isn't permissible for you to go and get that wealth off him. Because that person who has done that haram and got that wealth in the haram way, then it's upon him to sort that affair out. And maybe that individual, he may repent. He may repent and he may return that wealth back to where he took it from illegally. فَلَا يَحِلُّ لِأَحَدٍ أَنْ يَأْخُذَ مِنْهُ شَيْئًا إِلَّا بِإِذْنِهِ So it is not permissible to take that except with his permission. أَيْ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ الْغَاصِبِ وَفِي هَذَا الْكَلَامُ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمْ نَظَرِ Sheikh Rabia says, however, that this seems to be somewhat dubious. This seems to be an issue where maybe it needs to be investigated further. That if somebody has some illegal wealth, Imam al-Barbahari here says, you can't take it off him at all. It's up to him to go and sort it out. He may repent and return it. The Sheikh says, in that issue, there is some investigation required. Because that person now has taken some wealth illegally. And it might not just be money. Maybe it's a house. He's gone and forcefully taken the house of someone, confiscated it without right. So are we going to say, leave that house with him, don't do anything. It's up to him to return it when he repents. In that case, there's some investigation. Maybe it may be required to uh, involve yourself in that affair to resolve that issue. فالظاهر أنه لا يجوز أن تأخذ من هذا المال المقصوب عن طريق الغاصب شيئا إلا أن يرضى صاحبه مالكه وطابت به نفسه لأنك إذا أخذت من هذا الغاصب شجعته شجعته على ظلمه 
وتعاونت معه على الإثم والعدوان وقد يزداد المظلوم غيظا من تصرف هذا الفاجر في ماله فكيف تضيب نفسه ولا يزداد إلا حنقا وغيظا والفقهاء لهم أقوال أنه يجوز للغاصب يتصرف وقول إنه ما يجوز والراجح عدم الجواز So this is all talking about this wealth which has been taken illegally and whether that person is allowed to uh, do as he pleases then after that or whether you take that wealth off him or not. But the point being that this wealth it is impermissible to take in the first place that the person is not allowed to take the wealth of other people illegally to forcefully take it, to confiscate it without right, to steal it from them, to deceive they are all from the haram means of getting wealth. Then it mentions, وَالْمَكَاسِبْ مُطْلَقَ مَا بَانَ لَكَ صِحَّتُهُ فَهُوَ مُطْلَقَ إِلَّا مَا ظَهَرَ فَسَادُهُ وَإِنْ كَانَ فَاسِدًا يَأْخُذُ مِنَ الْفَاسِدْ مَسِيكَةِ نَفْسُهُ لَا تَقُولْ أترك, أَتْرُكُ الْمَكَاسِبَ أَخُذُ مَا أَعْطُونِي لَمْ يَفْعَلْ هَذَا الصحابة وَلَا الْعُلَمَاءِ إِلَى زَمَانِنَا هَذَا قَالَ عُمَرْ بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه كسب فيه بعض الدنيا خير من الحاجة إلى الناس So now the Imam says Means of earning which are clear to you to be correct are unrestricted The means which are clear that they are correct they are unrestricted Except for that which is found to be corrupt So you can earn your wealth in all of the halal ways they are all permissible ways unless there is something which tells you this particular type of business, this particular type of trade, this particular type of means is corrupt, then you stay away from it. If it is corrupt, he takes from it what is sufficient to support himself and he does not say, I will abandon earning and take what people will give me. This was not done by the companions nor by the scholars up to this time of ours. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu said, earning of which a part is impure is better than having need of the people. So what does all of this mean then? Shaykh Rabi'a says, Kalimat makasib tashmal al-bay' wal-shira' wal-ihtitab wal-nasaja wal-hadada wal-dibaqa wa-sa'ir al-hirf. The earnings, they can be in various different ways. Earnings can be various different professions, various different skills. Al-asal fiha al-hil. All of them are permissible. That is the origin of it. فَمَا ظَهَرَ لَكَ مِنْهُ حِلَّةِ لَيْسَ فِيهِ فَسَادٍ فَلَا بَأْسَ بِهِ So whatever is permissible and halal, then you can go out and earn your wealth and your money from those permissible and halal ways. So لَكَ أَن تَكْتَسِبَ سَوَاءً عَن طَرِيقِ الْبَيْعِ وَالشِّرَاءِ So you can go and earn your wealth whether it is through buying and selling trade of that nature أو عَن طَرِيقِ الْإِحْتِرَافِ كَمَا قُلْنَا Or if you have some other skill like you're a blacksmith or you are a carpenter or you have some other skill then you can earn your wealth that way uh, Wood for example is mentioned the ones who chop the wood and they burn the wood or they sell the wood to be burnt. That's mentioned in a hadith. لَأَنْ يَحْتَطِبَ أَحَدُكُمْ حُزْمَتْ عَلَى ظَهْرِهِ خَيْرٌ لَهُ مِنْ أَنْ يَسْأَلَ أَحَدًا فَيُعْطِيَهُ أَيَمْنَعَ That if one of you was to go out and collect firewood and sell it, that's better for you than asking the people. 
That's better for you than begging. Go out and get the firewood and sell it and make some wealth or uh, earn some money for yourself. That is better than asking the people and begging. Asking the people is a humiliation, it's a degradation. Therefore the person should earn for himself from the halal ways. And you should not end up having to ask the people. Don't rely on that. It is impermissible to do that. Impermissible to sit there and just ask the people and beg. That is only permissible in extreme necessity. When there was no other option. كما يقول الشيخ الإسلام ابن تيمية رحمه الله لأن فيه مفاسد شيخ الإسلام ابن تيمية رحمه الله تعالى mentioned regarding the earning of the wealth and regarding asking the people and he said that there are many types of corruption in asking the people إدلال النفس degrading yourself ومنها الافتقار إلى غير الله also showing your poverty and your need to others besides Allah, to the people. You're showing the people that you're in poverty and in need of them. And that is not correct. Your poverty, your need is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمِنْهَا Also, you are putting the person you are asking into a difficult situation. That you are begging him and almost pressurizing him. Because the nature of humans is to maintain their own wealth. The nature of humans is to maintain their own wealth, to not give it away and to lose it, but to maintain their own wealth. So when a person goes around begging, then you are placing people into a difficult situation. فَقَدْ لَا تَسْمَحْ نَفْسُهُ فَيَعْطِيكَ يَعْنِي بِسَيْفِ الْحَيَاءِ كَمَا يُقَالِ Maybe a person only gives you out of embarrassment because they don't want to have to say no to somebody begging them. So they give to you because they are pressurized and embarrassed and they don't want to have to say no. So this is all something bad. And these are all characteristics that are bad and you're ending up putting the people into this type of embarrassing situation where they give to you then because you're begging them. So all of these things are not permissible. They are incorrect and it is not right for a person to be engaging in them. Rather earn for yourselves in the halal ways. وَإِنْ كَانَ فَاسِدًا And if the buying and selling was corrupt, إِنْ كَانَ فَاسِدًا يَأْخُذُ مِنَ الْفَاسِدِ Then a person can take from that corrupt income in necessity, absolute necessity. أَنَّهُ يُرِيدُ أَنَّ الْمُطَّرِ يَأْخُذْ مَا يَسُدُّ بِهِ رَمْقَهِ لَهُ أَنْ يَأْكُلَ الْمَيْتَةِ this is like the example of extreme necessity. A person is about to die. It's either that he uses some haram wealth to eat or he dies. Then it's permissible to use the haram wealth. Those are times of extreme need, extreme situation. And that is like the example of the person who eats a corpse. Something which has not been slaughtered in the Islamic manner. Then he eats that corpse. It is allowed in the time of extreme necessity. When a person is either has the choice of eating or dying. So then he must eat that meat. لا تقول أترك المكاسب وأخذ ما أعطوني 
A person should not say that I will leave my earning, my income and I'll just take whatever they give me. This is not permissible for a person to say I'm not going to bother and I will just wait for whatever people give me and whatever I am provided with. Rather a person strives for his own income. لم يفعل هذا الصحابة ولا العلماء إلى زماننا هذا the the Sahaba the companions and the scholars they have not done that type of behavior ever up until our time now they don't just sit there relying on other people to feed them rather you make your halal earnings فَإِنَّ السُّؤَالِ كَمَا قُلْنَا أَصْلُهُ حَرَامٌ asking and begging the people in the origin of the affair is impermissible وعلى المسلم السعي في الأرض والضرب فيها لاكتساب الرزق الحلال. Upon a person is to strive to earn the halal income. فالكسب الحلال أمر مطلوب. So seeking the halal income is something which is required of a person to do. وَكَانَ مِنَ السَّلَفِ أَهْلُ حِرَفِ And from the Salaf there used to be people who had different skills and different professions from the Salaf. هَذَا نَجَّارُ وَهَذَا حَدَّاتِ Some of them might be uh, uh, a carpenter, some of them were blacksmiths, some of them had other jobs. They had various jobs and professions that the Salaf they used to do. انظروا القاب كثير من العلماء كلها او كثير منها تنسب الى صناعات if you look at the scholars many of their names indicate that they used to be certain types of skills and professions so this all indicates that they used to do their work they had their profession they earned for themselves the halal income وكان سعيد بن المسيب لا يقبل الاطعام من الدوله سعيد بن المسيب he never used to accept any money from the as we say now the government he never used to accept any money from them. Instead, he used to sell the, the, uh, the, the lard and the oil and the various things. He used to sell those small pieces, bits and bobs, as you say, in order to earn the wealth for himself, in order to have what suffices him, and he doesn't have to rely upon the donations and the handouts from the people. He used to say, لَوْ أَخَذْنَا مِنْهُمْ لَاتَّخَذُونَ مَنَادِيلِ If we take from them, we put our hand out and they hand us the money and they feed us, then they will treat us like handkerchiefs. They will treat us like dirt, that we are under their control, then the other ones feeding us. So he never used to accept any free money, he used to go and earn, even selling oil or whatever small things he had, making some small business to earn enough money to be able to feed himself and his family. الشاهد أن السلف كانوا يحترفون. So the Salaf used to have professions and skills and jobs they used to do. الحرف شرف. It's an honor for a person to have a skill and to be able to earn his income. حفاظا على ماء الوجه وعلى شرف الإنسان وكرامته. To safeguard your honor, not to degrade yourself and have to be upon the mercy of other people to feed you. So the Salaf they had this honor, they had skills and professions and jobs they used to do. Carpenters and Blacksmiths and other types of things. بعض ضعاف النفوس يأنف من الاكتساب عن طريق الحرف. يقول والله هذه حرف دنيئة. أنا أحتضب هذا عار. هل أشتغل بالدباغة أو الحدادة أو النجارة؟ هذه حرف ما أرضاها لنفسي. 
لكن يرضى لنفسه بأذل من هذا وهو أن ينتظر العطاء من الناس The Sheikh says some people they refuse to go out there and work They say these jobs they're too degrading Why should I do these jobs? They say a plumber, why should I be a plumber? That type of job they say is too degrading Why do I have to go and fix the sink and fix the toilets and these things? They say this is degrading, I don't want to do this Or other jobs, whatever it might be Carpenters fixing the furniture and things they say as a degrading job. Why should I be fixing the furniture and fixing broken legs? So the Sheikh says some people they have this type of view, they say these jobs are degrading, I don't want to do them. But then the reality is this is wrong what they are doing because in the end they end up doing something even more degrading. Waiting for handouts from the government instead of going and working on these jobs which are nothing wrong with them. To be working in these types of professions, to have that skill, to be a carpenter, to be a blacksmith, to be a plumber, to fix these things, what's the degradation in that? You're earning your wealth in a halal way, fixing a sink and earning some money for it is halal. So there's nothing wrong with this. And the people, they make a mistake when they say these jobs, I don't want them, they're not suitable for me, I want something better. I want uh, an office job, I want this, I want that. This is incorrect. The person should earn his wealth from these halal means and not end up in even more degradation waiting for this better job as he claims, and in the meantime, degrading himself, getting handouts. Rather, go and earn for yourselves. This is the way of the Muslim, not to be sitting there unemployed, waiting for handouts. يقول, قال عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه, كسب فيه بعض الدنيا خير من الحاجة إلى الناس. يعني مثل هذه الأمور التي ذكرناها خير من الحاجة إلى الناس على كل حال إن صح عن عمر وإلا معناه صحيح لا شك عمر بن الخطاب said that if there is some earning you can get which might have some lowliness to it maybe maybe you have a job as these days people talk about maybe you are working in the sewers you have to go and fix the pipes so people say there's some degradation in that you get dirty in this job Maybe there is a little bit, perhaps, that you will get dirty and that it does involve physical work, etc. But still, in this narration of Umar ibn al-Khattab, عنه, he says, even if that's the case, if it means that you're getting a halal income and you can take care of your affairs and your family, then so be it. Then do that job, do that, whatever it requires. Even if there is some difficulty or maybe lowliness to that type of job, if it's a halal job, then go and perform it rather than sitting there waiting for handouts and asking the people. So this narration, if it is authentic from Umar ibn al-Khattab, that's what it means. Even if it's not authenticated, the meaning of it is true. If it was a halal income, even if you thought it was something degrading, then if it's a halal income and that's all you have, then go and do it to look after your family and yourself instead of waiting for handouts. Then, وَالصَّلَوَاتُ الْخَمْسِ جَائِزَةً خلف من صليت خلفه إلا أن يكون جهميا فإنه معطل وإن صليت خلفه فأعد صلاتك وإن كان إمامك يوم الجمعة جهميا وهو سلطان فصلي خلفه وأعد صلاتك وإن كان إمامك من السلطان وغيره صاحب سنة فصلي خلفه ولا تعد صلاتك the five daily prayers must be prayed behind anyone. Any of the imams, you can pray behind them except if he's a jahmi. Since he denies all of the attributes of Allah. If you have prayed behind him, then repeat your prayer. 
on the day of Jumu'ah, if your imam happens to be a jahmi, but he's the ruler, then you have to pray behind the ruler, but repeat your prayer afterwards. And if your imam, whether is the ruler or not, is a person of the sunnah, then alhamdulillah you pray behind that person and you don't repeat your prayer of course. So now the shaykh says, As-salawatu al-khams fi jama'a wajiba. Praying the five prayers in congregation is obligatory. وَمَا تَرَكَ الرَّسُولُ سَأَسَلَّمَ الْجَمَاعَ فِي سَفَرٍ وَلَا And the Prophet ﷺ never used to leave the congregational prayer even when traveling and even when at home resident. وَلَا خُلَفَاءُهُ الرَّاشِدُونَ حَتَّى فِي حَالَةِ الْجِهَادِ Even the uh, rightly guided caliphs, الْخُلَفَاءُ الرَّاشِدُونَ After him the same. Even in jihad, then they prayed in congregation. And the companions, this is what they used to do also. Having learned that from the Prophet ﷺ, and the companions did that, and the people after them continued to do that, praying in the congregation. So this is obligatory. And it's mentioned in one narration that the Prophet ﷺ, he had thought about burning the houses of those people who refused to come and pray in the congregation. But then he said in the narration, because of the women and children in the homes, then he didn't do it. وَإِذَا سَمِعْتَ النِّدَاءَ فَأَجِبْ And if you hear the adhan, then answer to that adhan. شَكَى إِلَى الرَّسُولَ سَلَّمْ أَنَّهُ رَجْلٌ كَفِيفٌ وَأَنَّهُ لَيْسَ لَهُ قَائِدْ يَقُودُهُ A man complained to the Prophet ﷺ that he is blind and doesn't have anyone to bring him to the mosque. وَفِي طَرِيقِهِ مَشَاكِلٌ And on the way to the mosque there were some difficulties, some problems on the road. It wasn't simple for him to come by himself. He was a blind man. So the Prophet ﷺ permitted him to just pray in his house. But then he said to him, هَلْ تَسْمَعُ النِّدَاءِ But can you hear the adhan though? From where you are, can you hear the adhan when it goes? قَالَ نَعَمْ The blind man said, yes I can. قَالَ The Prophet said, in that case, answer to the adhan. أَجِبِ النِّدَاءِ وَالْأَدِلَّ كَثِيرَ عَلَى هَذَا وَيَخْتَلِفُ الْعُلَمَاءِ فِي وُجُوبِهَا وَيُرَجِّحُ بَعْدَ الْعُلَمَاءِ أَنَّهَا سُنَّ مُؤَكَّدَةَ وَبَعْضُمْ يَقُولْ فَرْضٌ كِفَايَةٌ وَبَعْضُهَا يَقُولْ إِنَّهَا شَرْطٌ فِي صِحَّةِ الصَّلَاةِ فَابْنُ حَزَمْ وَابْنُ تَيْمِيَةَ يَذْهَبَانِ إِلَى أَنَّهَا صَلَاةُ الْجَمَاعِ يَعْنِي شَرْطٌ فِي صِحَّةِ الصَّلَاةِ Some of the scholars even say it's a condition. It's a condition for your prayer to be accepted. The jama'ah. That if you pray by yourself, it's not accepted. And some of the scholars, they said, it is actually sunnah mu'akkada. But the point being, generally speaking, that it is something which should be done. A person, a man, a male should pray in the jama'ah. And there are narrations talking about the virtue of that. Salatul mar'i fi jama'atin tafdulu salatul fadhi bi sab'in wa'ashirina darja. That praying in congregation is better than praying by yourself by 27 times. 27 times better praying in congregation than praying by yourself. In another narration by 25 times. قَالُوا الْحَدِيثِ يُسْتَفَادُ مِنْهُ صِحَّةُ صَلَاةِ الْفَذِّ The hadith indicates that a person praying by himself, his prayer is still okay. Because if he prays by himself, he still gets reward. But if he prays in congregation, he gets 25 times more or 27 times more. So that indicates that he gets more reward in congregation, but praying by himself would still be rewarded. والصحيح أن صلاة الجماعة واجبة لكنها ليست بشرط. The correct opinion is that the congregational prayer is an obligation, but it's not a condition. 
So if a person prayed by himself, a prayer would be okay. لكنه يأثم لتقصيره في هذا الواجب ويستحق العقوبة أيضا في تخلفه عن الجماعة But the person has a shortcoming If he's not coming to the masjid to pray in the jama'ah Particularly here now Where there is no excuse You have a salafi masjid A salafi masjid A masjid of ahl sunnah There is no bid'ah here There is no hizbiyah here There is no opposition here To the sunnah so there is no excuse. Everybody should be here in the congregation alongside the Salafis praying with Ahlul Sunnah in the congregation. That is not an excuse in a place certainly where there are masajid of Ahlul Sunnah of the Salafiyun. ثُمَّ تَعَرَّضَ الْمُسَنِّفُ لِلصَّلَاةِ خَلْفَ أَهْلِ الْبِدَعِ وَاسْتَثْنَى الْجَهْمِيَّةِ فَقَطْ وَلَمْ يَسْتَثْنِ الرَّوَافِضِ وَلَا الْخَوَارِجِ وَلَا الْمُرْجِئَ وَلَا الْقَدَرِيَّ وَلَا غَيْرَهُمْ وَالسَّلَفِ كَانُوا يَحْذَرُونَ مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ خَلْفَ أَهْلِ الْبِدَعِ إذا وجد إمام من أهل السنة فإذا وجد إمام من أهل السنة فلا تصلي خلف المبتدع كائن من كان. If there is a Salafi Imam, then you must go and pray behind him, and it is not permissible to go and pray behind the people of innovation. If there is a Salafi Imam, إذا وجد إمام من أهل السنة فلا تصلي خلف المبتدع كائن من كان. If there is a Salafi Imam. There is somebody from the congregations, the masjid, open Ahl Sunnah, that's where you must pray. He cannot pray at the other masajid. وَإِذَا لَمْ تَجِدْ But if there is no Salafi Imam, وَإِذَا لَمْ تَجِدْ إِلَّا الْمُبْتَدِعْ فَصَلِّ وَرَاءَهُ And if you cannot find anybody except an innovator, then pray behind him. So here, for example in this city, the city of Bolton, the only masjid that is Salafi, the only Salafi masjid in Bolton is this masjid. The other people, maybe some of them claim Salafi, maybe they say they are Salafi, but they mix with the Ikhwani, they mix with the Tablighi, they mix with everybody else. The one masjid here in Bolton where you do not get that type of free mixing with Tablighi and Sufi and Ikhwani and everybody, but then still say you're Salafi. This masjid here, Alhamdulillah, established upon the Sunnah, there is no deviation, there is no bid'ah, there is no open platform for any Sufi, Brailwi, Hizbi to come and give lectures. Rather it is Ahl Sunnah, the Salafiyun. So this is where the person has to pray. And it is not correct to go and pray in other masajid. It is not correct to go to other places. You should make the effort to come here even if it is. Takes 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to get here. Then you should make that effort to come and pray in the Masjid of Ahl Sunnah. Then after that, Al-Imam Al-Barbahari says, وَالْإِيمَانِ بِأَنَّ أَبَا بَكْرِ وَعُمَرِ فِي حِجْرَةِ عَائِشَ مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ قَدْ دُفِنَا هُنَاكَ مَعَهُ فَإِذَا آتَيْتَ الْقَبْرِ فَالتَّسْلِيمْ عَلَيْهِمَا وَاجِبٌ بَعْدَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ This now he says, Al-Imam Al-Barbahari, to have faith, that Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhumah are within the room of Aisha radiallahu anha along with the messenger of Allah 
That's where they were buried with him. The Prophet ﷺ was buried in the house of Aisha radiallahu anha where he died. Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhumah were buried alongside him there. That's where they were buried. So if you come to their graves, you must give salam to them, to Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhumah after giving salam to the Prophet ﷺ. So Ar-Rasul naha an qabrihi the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, it is impermissible to make that a place of worship. That you go and worship the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ forbade that. Allahumma la taj'al qabri yu'bad. The Prophet ﷺ said, Oh Allah, do not make my grave like an idol that the people worship. Do not allow that to occur. And the Prophet ﷺ said, لا تجعل قبري عيدا. The Prophet said, Do not make my grave an Eid, meaning a place of repetitive visitation, always going there and doing your worship, etc. Do not do that. And do not make your homes like the graveyards. Meaning, recite the Quran in your homes, pray the supererogatory prayers in your homes. Don't make your homes abandoned of worship. Like the graveyards, make your homes full of worship. And send the prayers upon me from wherever you are, from wherever you are, for indeed the prayers they reach me. Send the prayers upon me from wherever you are, for indeed those prayers they reach me. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah says, As-Sahaba ma kanu ya'tuna qabr al-Nabi. عليه الصلاة والسلام بل هناك إسناد صحيح يرويه عبد الرزاق عن معمر عن أيوب عن نافع أن ابن عمر رضي الله عنه كان إذا قدم من صفر أتى قبر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فسلم عليه ثم قال السلام عليك يا أبا بكر السلام عليك يا عمر ثم يمضي There is a narration about ابن عمر عبد الله ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما he used to when he came back from a journey, when he came back from a journey, he would come to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. When he came back from a journey, he would come to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ and give the salam. And then he would give the salam to Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu uh, anhuma also. فَسَأَلَ أَيُّوبُ عُبَيْدَ اللَّهِ إِبْنِ عُمَرِ الْعُمَرِ عَنْ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ فَقَالَ هَذَا مَا فَعَلَهُ إِلَّا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ إِبْنِ عُمَرِ يعني من الصحابة جميعا ما فعله إلا عبد الله بن عمر فكان الصحابة مقيمين في المدينة ولا يأتون القبر وكانوا إذا سافروا وقدموا من سفر لا يأتون القبر لما لما ورد من النهي عن اتخاذ قبره عيدا وكانوا يكتفون بالصلاة عليه في الدنيا كلها في مساجدهم وفي مزارعهم وفي متاجرهم وفي ظهورهم so this is mentioned that only Abdullah ibn Umar used to do that. As for the other companions, they used to send the salutations upon the Prophet ﷺ from wherever they were. It is not a condition to have to go to the grave to do that. So they did not used to go there. And they used to send the salutations from wherever they were. So there is no need to have to go to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. Even if somebody is far away and somebody is close by to the grave, they are both the same. When they give that salah upon the Prophet, it will reach him. 
الذي يصلي عليه عند قبره قد يكون أضعف أقل أجرا أو لا أجر له والله أعلم لأنه ما أمره بهذا ولا حفه الرسول صلى الله عليه هذا ولا عمل الصحابة هذا إلا ما كان من عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله عنه Maybe somebody who is close to the grave might actually get less reward than somebody who's far away. Because that person who's going close to the grave is making a point of doing that. فَقَوْلُهُ وَالْإِيمَانُ بِأَنَّ أَبَا بَكَرُ عَمَرُ فِي حُجْرَةِ عَائِشَ مَعَ رَسُولِ دَيْسَ أَسَلَّمُ قَدْ دُفِنَا هُنَاكَ مَعَهُ So to believe that Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhuma were buried alongside the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the house of Aisha radiyallahu anha هذا أمر متواتر عند الأمة كلها This is an affair which is widely narrated and known to all of the Ummah أهل السنة وأهل البدع The people of the Sunnah and even the people of innovation know that much that Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhuma are buried alongside the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Everybody acknowledges that. ولا أحد ينكر هذا. Nobody rejects this. ولكن إذا جاء إنسان وقال هل يجب أن نسلم عليهما إن كان يريد بالوجوب أن الله أوجبه فلا يسلم له. فإن الإجابة والتحريم لا بد لهما من دليل. ولا دليل هنا على ما قاله المؤلف رحمه الله بل الوارد عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه قال لا تجعلوا قبر إيدا سهي الإمام البربهاري said that if you give the salam to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم you must obligation give salam to Abu Bakr al-Umar رضي الله عنهما yes that is what you do that is what is mentioned but is it an obligation like a wajib that we cannot say because that requires evidence. You cannot say that it is an obligation, a wajib to have to do that, unless there is evidence. But this is what the scholars have mentioned, that if you give the salam upon the Prophet ﷺ, then you also give the salam upon uh, Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma. For indeed, they were from the greatest of the companions. Abu Bakr, the best of all of the companions, the best of all of the people after the Prophets and Messengers, then Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu thereafter. So their virtues are great. Their status and their rank is great. And maybe you've heard recently what occurred from the misguided individuals. Yasir Qadi recently said that if Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu was given a test about the categories of Tawheed, if he was asked about Aqsam al-Tawheed and Wudu and these things, he said Umar ibn al-Khattab would fail. This is Yasir Qadi's words. Because he is a misguided individual, a misguided individual who does not take from the scholars, so he thinks up things from himself, from his own mind. These are the types of statements that he makes. That if you gave Umar ibn al-Khattab a test, on these issues, he wouldn't know the answers. He even said something about If you ask Umar ibn al-Khattab about this, he wouldn't be able to explain. Something along these lines too. These are the types of deviancies from these people. And who promotes them? Who or is it something that would occur to your mind at all? To speak about Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu in this way to give this example. He was trying to make some points. 
But this is the ridiculous example that he gave. That if Umar ibn al-Khattab was given the test, he would fail. In that narration it mentions, if the knowledge of the ummah was put on one side of the weighing scale, and the knowledge of Umar radiallahu anhu was put on the other side of the weighing scale, the knowledge of Umar would be greater. And Qadi comes along and says that he would fail the test. This is the deviance of Al-Maghrib. Yasir Qadi and Al-Maghrib. But who promotes them? The same people who say they are Salafi. They want to tell everybody they are Salafi. And they say we have scholars, mashayikh coming to us. They gave us tazkiyah. A Sheikh Fulan or Sheikh Fulan. They gave us tazkiyah, tazkiyah, we are Salafi. And the same people they promote Yasir Qadi, Green Lane Mosque. They were the ones on their Facebook telling everybody go to Yasir Qadi's lecture. They said we advise everyone, we encourage everyone. It's on their Facebook, you can go see yourself. They say we advise and encourage everyone to go to this lecture, Yasir Qadi. These are the people they promote, this is their reality. So now if somebody comes and says to you, but Green Lane, some scholars go there, and the scholars, they give them tazkiyah, say okay, scholars, if they gave them tazkiyah, did the scholars give tazkiyah to say, Umar ibn Khattab will fail the test if you ask him? Did the scholars give tazkiyah to go and sit with Yasir Qadi and Al-Maghrib Institute? The scholars did not give tazkiyah for this. So do not be fooled and confused. GLM, they pretend to be Salafi and with the scholars. When the scholars, they come. Then when the scholars go, the scholars are back on the plane and they're going home. Then who do GLM start promoting? Al-Maghrib and Yasir Qadi and all these people again. Then once in the year, the mashaykh come, then they say Salafi, Salafi again. GLM say we Salafi, Salafi. As soon as they're gone, then Yasir Qadi, Al-Maghrib, everybody again. On their Facebook to all of the people they said, we encourage you to go to the lecture, Yasir Qadi. Yasir Qadi says about himself, not, this, not us, not everybody. Yasir Qadi himself said what? He said he is not. He said the Salafiyyah, it is not intellectually challenging or something along those words. It is not intellectually good enough for him. He said, when I was younger, I was in the Salafi movement, but now it's not intellectually good for me, etc., etc., all this nonsense. Himself, he declares himself not to be Salafi like this. But he tries to get clever. He says, no, I mean something else, and I mean the Salafi movement of these days, and I don't mean the Salaf of the past. He is not with the Salaf of the past, nor the Salafis of our time. Well, both of them are the same. The Salafis of our time are following the Salaf of the past. That's why they are Salafi, as Sheikh Mimba said, the ones who are truthful. So these people, their misguidance is clear. There is no doubt about it. Nobody is going to try to argue that Al-Maghrib is a Salafi institute. Nobody is going to try to argue that. But who does? Green Lane? Green Lane still promote them. So now you have to ask why. Why does this organization tell you they are Salafi, Salafi, Salafi? And they're sending you to someone who will tell you that Umar ibn Khattab will fail the Aqidah test. He will fail the Nawaqid al-Wudu. Afterwards, Yasir Qadi himself said that I shouldn't have made those words. I shouldn't have said Umar ibn Khattab will fail. He accepted that this was wrong. But did he make a tawbah? Did he make repentance? Nothing. Just uh, maybe the words that I said were not quite right. This is the way of their misguidance. Al-Maghrib, they are completely away from the, uh, the methodology of the scholars, the methodology of the Salaf. 
But it is green lane in this country who still promotes them. You don't see any of the Salafis promoting them. You don't see any of the Salafis promoting Kamal Makki flying up in the air, YouTube videos, telling you he can do all of the magic that the magicians can do. Greenland promotes all of these people. They promote them. That's not me telling you. Look at their Facebook. Look at all of their accounts. They promote them on their pictures. Advise you. We encourage you. Go to them. This is the reality of Greenland. So if they try to pretend now, but the scholars gave us Tazkiyah. Did the scholars give you Tazkiyah that magic is halal? Did the scholars give you Tazkiyah Yasser Qadi is okay? Did the scholars give you Tazkiyah Al-Maghrib Institute is okay? Nothing. Nothing. So this is not something to fool the people now. Do not be fooled that they say once a year we bring the scholars, we are Salafi. For the rest of the year when the scholars are gone, now it's all Al-Maghrib, Yasser Qadi, Al-Kawthar, everybody else. So their deviance is clear and it does not require a great deal to realize that. And that actually leads us on to the next topic, which is the topic regarding enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Al-Amru bil-ma'roof wa nahi an al-munkar. Wajib. In this section now, Imam al-Barbahari is going to talk about enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Al-Amr bil-Ma'roof wa nahi al-Munkar Enjoining the good and forbidding the evil is an obligation to be done. Uh, an obligation that is to be done except if you fear the sword or the stick of a person upon you, you fear that you would be uh, killed or some great harm would come to you, that's different. But otherwise, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil is something required. Allah mentioned in the Quran, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas ta'muruna bil ma'roof wa tanhawna anil munkar wa tu'minuna billah. That you are the best of the people who were raised. Because you enjoin the good and you forbid the evil and you believe in Allah. And the Prophet said, Man ra'a minkum munkaran falyugayyirhu biyadi, fa in lam yastadirhu bilisani, fa in lam yastadirhu bilqalbi, wadalika adhaful iman. That whomsoever sees an evil, then change it with your hand. If you're unable, then change it with your tongue. And if you're unable, then hate it in your heart. And that is the weakest of iman. And you do what is in accordance to your ability. La yukallifullahu nafsan illa wus'aha. Allah does not burden a person greater than what he is able to burden. So, when enjoining that good and forbidding the evil, as the scholars have said, you must be upon knowledge. You must know what to enjoin and what to forbid. What is good and what is haram. You have to know that, otherwise how can you enjoin the good and forbid the evil? You have to know what the good is and what the evil is. Then also, you have to look at the outcome. Sometimes you may forbid an evil, but if you forbid that evil, a greater evil occurs. In that case, don't forbid the evil. If forbidding an evil is going to make an even greater evil occur, then you don't do it. Rather, a benefit has to come about. So these are things that a person has to bear in mind. Some people, they do not have the good manners in advising. Some people, they do not have the good manners in advising others or encouraging them and enjoying the good and forbidding the evil. So you must speak with the good manners, you must speak with the good uh, way and the good style of giving that advice and giving that uh, enjoining of the good and forbidding the evil in order that the people they accept from you. And maybe somebody who is opposing you to a greater degree, you could show some level of harshness to that person. And that may be better for him. 
But otherwise to the general folk Then to show the good mannerisms In enjoining that good and forbidding the evil Not to go there as if you are superior And you know and he does not know To make your position higher than his That is not the purpose of enjoining the good And forbidding the evil So this is a principle of Salafiyya in fact It is a principle of Salafiyya To enjoin the good and to forbid the evil that is the brief section there where it concludes. We'll begin the new section next time. وَالتَّسْلِيمُ عَلَىٰ عِبَادِ اللَّهِ أَجْمَعِينَ Regarding giving the salam to people. The topic regarding giving the salam to people. Uh, that's where we'll begin with inshaAllah ta'ala from the next session next week. Which will be about the same time 6.45pm. So we'll conclude upon that for today. وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ نَبِيِّنَا مُحَمَّدُ وَعَلَىٰ آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ